Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of the Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to this latest edition of the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, as always, we've got a terrific page two experts uh, for you today. I do want to just pick up where the announcer left off. This is, of course, a call-in show, and so you can call in at 347-324-3080. You also can join us over in the chat room, and I see several people over in the chat room. You can ask questions there, so feel free. Uh, you can also email me today at at Ted Hart at tedhart.com. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. First thing that we have here on page uh, one news is to ask you to get out your calendars and circle April 19th. This is really shocking and and so difficult for me to understand that so much time has gone by. But on April 19th, we ask you to please join us uh, for the live sixth anniversary of the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Hard to believe our big sixth anniversary show is just around the corner. So circle that date uh, and make sure that you join us. We, of course, always on the anniversary show have lots of guests uh, sharing their time top tips and secrets from all of our podcasts uh, here 
over the past now going into our sixth year here on the Nonprofit Coach. The other thing here on uh, page one that I want to draw your attention to, and of course uh, many of our listeners already know that uh, we host a very successful uh, group over on LinkedIn. That is our people-to-people fundraising uh, group over on LinkedIn, and astoundingly it now has 3,190 members um, on the uh, on the group and a very active lots of different topics um, that uh, get discussed over people to people fundraising and of course make sure that you're following us at twitter.com forward slash Ted Hart uh, because that's where we will post for you from time to time um, updates to links and shows and details um, for uh, for upcoming information so uh, make sure that you are uh, joining us um, and I see actually one of our our guests today just joined us over on uh, people to people fundraising um, over on LinkedIn and that puts us over 3,191 members over on LinkedIn. So with that, it's time for us uh, to get on over to page two and make sure that we give maximum amount of time today to our two wonderful experts on page two. Now, we promoted, as you know, today's show as Practical Wisdom of Funders, and that's exactly what you're going to get. Uh, But our two expert guests today wanted to make sure that we noted to everyone that today's show is all about connecting people to resources across philanthropy, and there are no two better guests that I could have here on The Nonprofit Coach to make sure that we accomplish that uh, before the end of the show. First, I want to uh, introduce Jen Bokoff. She is the Director of Knowledge Services at the Foundation Center and the Director of Grant Craft. Jen works at Foundation Center as the Director of Grant Craft, which is a service that taps the practical wisdom of funders to increase the collective knowledge of the philanthropic field. Uh, in her role, Jen develops free resources to help grant makers, and they're going to share lots of those with us today, to improve practice and facilitate dialogue with funders around the world. She also connects the social sector with the Foundation Center's array of knowledge services to advance the strategic use of data in informing work. Um, we also have uh, with us today Sarah Jo Neubauer sorry, is the Director of Capacity and Leadership Development Team at the Foundation Center. Sarah Jo has been enthusiastically connecting social sector change makers to resources they need to succeed since joining the Foundation Center in 2006. Congratulations on your 10th anniversary, Sarah Jo. Combining her background and skills in librarianship, community organizing, training, and fundraising, Sarah Jo leads the capacity and leadership development team to strengthen one of the Foundation Center's core social services, and that's Foundation Center training. Welcome here uh, to the Nonprofit Coach, both Jen and Sarah Jo. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Ted. You both represent very important aspects of the Foundation Center. Uh, but for my listeners today, because we always have a very broad audience of those who uh, um, have been around a while and are looking for that next step in the best of information we can provide, and some folks that are new to the nonprofit coach and are just starting their learning journey. Um, so I'm going to start off by uh, actually asking Jen if we could take a step back and just tell us what is the Foundation Center? Absolutely. So 
I like to think of Foundation Center as a sort of meta nonprofit where our mission is really to strengthen the work of the entire nonprofit sector. So that includes foundations, that includes support organizations for those foundations, consultants, it includes uh, nonprofit organizations who are out there in communities around the world doing work, it includes job seekers who want to have a mission-driven job, and all sorts of other people who make up or self-describe themselves as being a part of the social sector. And so we are a go-to hub, uh, even though we're based here in New York, we Uh, Jen, we lost you for just a second. You're based in New York? We're based in New York. Can you hear me now? Yes, you're back. Excellent. Um, so we're based in New York. We also have four other offices in the... Uh, we're losing you just a little bit. Um, can you hear me now? Yeah, I think you may be using voice over IP, and it may be bogging down just a little bit. So uh, we got as far as that you're in New York. You have four offices, and you're going to tell us where the four offices are. Atlanta, Cleveland, D.C., and San Francisco. And sorry about that. We'll we'll bring a tech person into the room right away. Um, <laughs> well, we did get all of that. So tell us a little bit more. Excellent. So all of those offices actually double as public libraries. So they're completely free and open to the public. Before we stepped in to record this, I actually was in our library and there were about 40 people sitting in there doing everything from grant research to connecting with our librarians to see how to access grants for artists um, to meeting with people to talk about business ideas. So these library centers are really hubs for people connecting in the sector. And beyond that, we actually have more than 450 partners that are affiliate locations called the Funding Information Network. And those partners are in the U.S. and also in several other countries around the world. And they are public libraries, they're community foundations, and they're other public organizations, public-facing organizations, where people can go and access all of our resources for free. So we're the go-to hub in person, and then also online, we have more than 6 million people tuned in to use our services every year, and 99.7% of it is free. So it's very exciting. It is exciting, and it's a very important service. This certainly the Nonprofit Coach uh, radio show encourages all of our listeners to make utilization of this service. And, and I'm often asked, well, you know, of course, everything's available online today. Can I just do all this online myself? And, and uh, as I point out to people, certainly you can, but what you need to understand about the work of the Foundation Center is it is the experts who are there who have a knowledge of not only what information is in your catalog of information, but also how to utilize it and how to connect the dots. And when you're just sitting at your desktop, it's not always clear how you can connect the dots. And as we know, or at least I think most people have figured out, not everything that's printed on the Internet is true, and not everything that is printed yeah. on the Internet is helpful. So that's, I think, where the Foundation Center plays such an important role, is helping those folks who are trying to learn, trying to find resources, as you said, you know, trying to start businesses, trying to start successful charities, trying to new, find new funding sources, 
you want to be efficient and you want to be accurate, and that's where the Foundation Center comes in. We are ready to hire you as our PR person. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, but in, so, in all seriousness, it's true, and I think that as we've we've been in the business for 60 years, so we sit on a lot of data and we sit on a lot of knowledge from all sides of the table, from the grant seeker side, from the grant maker side, and everything in between. And so what we've really learned in those 60 years is how to go from having a ton of information that people can come in and hope to find to being really good curators of that information and helping exactly. people really hone in very quickly on what's going to help them improve their practice. Exactly, and I think that's really one of the the key focus. I want to bring Sarah Joe in here because Sarah Joe, you know, when when I hear or when other people hear, you know, the 60 years of history, first of all, I'm impressed with that, but sometimes that can also sound kind of stale um, and not sort of fresh and new. And I think what keeps the Foundation Center in the forefront um, is the expertise of knowing how to curate information, how to connect the dots. And I'm I'm just so curious to learn more about the specific work that you do as director of capacity and leadership development because if there if there's a topic that's come up more often on on this show I'm not quite sure what it is um, then um, the the ability to increase capacity of nonprofits and to improve leadership development mm. thanks Ted I I want to um, answer this question through a little bit of how my work is anchored in our kind of social sector outreach work um, that does um, help kind of leverage and build capacities and, and connect nonprofits to the resources they need to thrive through the online and uh, on our ground game in um, 450 locations as well as our five offices that, or, or uh, regional hubs as Jen already talked about. Um, but I do want to um, kind of answer this question a little bit also through um, through how Foundation Center was born, because you, you kind of mentioned that we've been around for 60 years, and it's true. And, you know, um, over 60 years ago, foundations were being scrutinized for un-American activities, and um, this was a time where McCarthyism was alive and well. And um, a handful of foundations did um, did uh, kind of launch Foundation Center back then, and, and Foundation Center was born. And now we, we do have this rich legacy of, of being a trusted source of information in the field. And so um, coming back to my role in capacity and leadership development, um, we really do ensure that thousands of individuals who represent in incredible causes um, really have the information to do their work and to be more effective and efficient in their work as changemakers. So we really look at um, training leaders on how to best position their organization for fundraising success, leadership success, and uh, and doing that through um, you know thinking okay foundation center has been around for 60 years what's what's kind of changed or you know what what have we done in the training aspect it's not it's not a lot of lecture um, but it's more uh, a blended learning and looking at how adults learn best and um, and that's really through project based learning so individuals that walk through our door really do leave with action items and applicable uh, workflows. Well, I think it's impressive that you have 40 people in your library right now uh, who are finding those services to uh, to to be helpful. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about this both national and international network. I, I mean, I think it's incredibly impressive that the Foundation Center has thought to do that, but also has has maintained that. What can people, um, our listeners? Ex 
Yeah, so it, it is increasingly a networked sector, and I think that what we've found is when Foundation Center started 60 years ago, most of the data that we were getting came from U.S.-based foundations, and the reason is my favorite federal government organization, the IRS. So in the U.S., And, and coding it in really smart ways. And realizing that that wasn't the full story, started actually asking funders to tell their story a little bit better. And as we were getting more descriptions of... Jen, can you hear me? Yes. Can we hear you? Yeah, we, can you hear me? Yeah, we just lost you for just a bit of a second. Again, the voice over IP Gremlins, I think, uh, jumped in. Um, so gotcha. just, just so back sorry. up just a little bit, and I think we'll be fine. Sure. Basically, uh, we have all this data. It comes from United States tax forms. So a lot of our work started in the United States. But what we realized the more that we looked at that data, uh, philanthropy doesn't just happen in the United States, quite obviously. But the challenge in building out that international network is other countries aren't set up the way that we are, where you have to share data and stories in the same way. Uh, so there's no stockpile that tells the story of what's happening in a sector in quite the same way anywhere else. And so we started really making a concerted effort to build international partnerships. And a big piece of that we already mentioned, which are our partners um, that offer our services for free. So we're in more than 10 countries, and a lot of those are localized. The resources are localized to, to fit in appropriate context because not everything written for a U.S. audience is appropriate in, let's say, the U.K. So that's mm -hmm. one aspect. But then we've also been really involved in important international conversations about the structure of data, for example, um, the bridge project giving every nonprofit organization a unique identifier that's shared across all of the major platforms. That's been a really big deal that we were one of the active partners in. Um, we sit in on Daphne meetings, which is a gathering of um, a lot of the European foundation sector leaders. We have two colleagues right now in Brazil at the annual conference of foundations there um, and they're speaking to international partnerships and the way that civil society has been evolving to include a more global context. So it's, people are looking to us to share what we know about the U.S. philanthropic sector and finding it valuable to apply to their context and learn from. Um, I'll give you one more example that I just I really love. Um, about eight or nine years ago, a Chinese delegation was visiting Foundation Center, and we were showing them some of our data, and there was a big absence of data around Chinese funding. And they said, wow, we want to be on that map. We're doing some good things too. So that actually sparked the creation of the China Foundation Center, which now has not only adapted a lot of our resources, but has become a real curator of conversation on the ground in China in a way that we never could be. So a lot of our networking and partnership development has been empowering other foundations, NGOs, and infrastructure organizations to support the needs in their local communities. That's right. And, and in building that kind of, of network, it helps 
um, to share best practices, data, as you said, storytelling, so that uh, those that are trying to do good around the world are not always in the position of sort of reinventing the wheel or feeling that they're starting from scratch. That's exactly right. We're actually, yeah. One more example that I think just could be kind of fun to bring up, and, and maybe we can talk about it more later. I've been working on a project, a little bit of a pet project, called youthgiving.org. And it's all about how youth are actually grant makers all around the world. And whereas adults tend to reinvent the wheel without certain access to resources, there's a lot of similarities about how youth are doing grant making, and they're actually plugged into big networks and learning from each other. So internationally, for example, the youth bank network is more than 100 youth banks strong, and they all operate using the same grant making principles and organizing structures. So I was actually just working on an article thinking about how much adult grant makers can learn from youth grant makers. And I think that that's really a nod to the way that youth are able to cut through the red tape a little bit. And so I think as an organization, we're trying to learn from them. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I think it's it's showing the capacity to look beyond ourselves and to, to learn from others. And I, and I think, you know, oftentimes, you know, when someone has, you know, a great idea, they think that, that they must be the first person who ever had that great idea. And it's not to say that there aren't different approaches to different topics, but um, the issues facing the humans around the world tend to pop up as being similar when you go from country to country or from culture to culture. Mm-hmm. I want to, um, if it's okay, just... Um kind of share as, as this conversation is evolving um, and how a lot of this is also being applied in the classroom, both online and in person um, through Foundation Center training. So um, how do we, how do we um, continue to learn from our peers um, in our local communities as well as online through kind of nonprofit training? Um, and that is, that is a thread that we're really um, – working on developing even more in, in our training. So when we're in person, how do we really deliberately make sure peers are learning from each other, are getting to know each other, really finding ways that they can work together outside the classroom, right, and, and, and really building that, those kind of collaborative leadership skills um, to take out into the real world. I think that is a, a really an incredible gap that we're working on, on trying to fill along with other capacity-building organizations. So So is it what is the role of technology today in the ability for this kind of information to be imparted and shared? It's a big role. It's a really, really big role. And actually, if you look at where we were 20 years ago, people were still coming into the libraries to comb through the stacks of printed grants from every year on every issue. And so, from at a very simple level, first of all, just the way that you can search through a ton of information uh, is immediately simplified. So that's sort of one piece. Um, there's a number of things technology has really enabled us to do and to do smarter. One is really to go from being a data publisher to a knowledge curator. So 
instead of just searching through grant lists and having to draw your own conclusions, we now have much smarter ways of allowing people to really take charge of the data and do something with it. So from, from a prospect research side, for example, um, in Foundation Directory Online, which is fdo.foundationcenter.org, um, there's, there's a new feature called Workspace. And in Workspace, it can be a really good tool to help organize the searches that you've already done of funders who might be applicable um, to the grant that you're trying to secure and sort of keep track of your game plan. Uh, we didn't have a tool for your game plan before. And then on the funder side, also tied to an online subscription-based product, but again, free in all of our library centers and partners. Um, we have Foundation Maps, which is my, really one of my new favorite tools, which helps you at a glance look at who is funding what and where, and figure out who, who's connected to who and who maybe should be connected to who. So for example, um, I was talking with a funder group that is all interested in funding healthy food initiatives tied to New York City. And when you actually look at the data, there's some duplicative funding and then there's some big gaps. And there's no way that you could see that without the help of technology and the visualizations that come with it to actually see uh, you know, that one organization is getting all the grants and this other organization has one grant from one partner that's not tied into this funder circle. So it's a really neat way to look at the landscape and also think beyond that. So who are other possible partners? What does my story look like and where can we deepen our work? And then just as, as two more technology notes because there's a lot to say about this. Um, another thing that we're really doing is strengthening the way that people can learn about different topics. And that's on in one side that's sort of thinking about early childhood development in East Africa and doing what we call a landscape website that focuses on the qualitative and the quantitative tied to that topic. And then on a broader social sector audience side, developing our e-learning modules. So we have this great new class, for example, from Beth Cantor about social media. Um, and it's really a new way to learn and engage with content that people have been responsive to and that we just didn't have before. So that's empowered by technology. And then the last and maybe biggest thing that I want to highlight, this is a, this is a bit of the under the hood, behind the scenes um, stuff that you don't see. We've really evolved the way that we're able to process information. And we're doing it much faster, um, fairly accurately, and just with a lot of efficiency that lets us then refocus efforts on the curation rather than the actual cleaning of data. And so we're doing this through um, a machine learning algorithm that was built in-house that's actually used to assign subject and population and support strategy codes, for example, which before every single grant entry had to be looked at by a person. So we've already processed more grants this year in, what, three months, because it's the end of March, than we did in, I want to say, last year. Um, so it's, it's really allowing us to grow the amount of data we can house exponentially. So I'll be quiet, unless you have more to add, Sarah Jo. 
No, that was a that was a, a good foray. And I um, just to kind of come back on the e-learning piece, it is all the rage, right? Everyone on this call, I'm sure, is extremely busy and is doing three things while they're listening and thinking about their question. And so, um, as the professionalization of our sector grows, um, I think there's still, you know, if you don't want to be uh, like apply to be in an academic program on nonprofit management or leadership or even a certificate program, Foundation Center's got your back to have, you know, kind of quick e-learning or online engagements. Um, that can help answer a lot of the questions that you have or fill some of those knowledge and skill gaps. And so to Jen's point, we're looking at building out a lot of that. And then I just have to put in a plug for one of our on, online um, uh, digital platforms called Issue Lab, which is mm -hmm. one of my very, very, very favorite things that we do at Foundation Center, uh, which is really kind of a digital repository of foundation-sponsored reports, case studies, white papers, and reports, um, you name it. It's it's just a fan. It's got I think what fifteen thousand. Well more? over. I well think over? I think that twenty thousand researches oh and growing. Yeah. And it's also I, we shouldn't have favorites, but I think it's one of my favorite things that we do as well because it takes the way I like to think about it is it takes the black hole of the internet and all the PDFs that you have flagged to read with good intent but never do and organizes it so that they're there mm -hmm. and and well curated for when you're ready to access them mm -hmm. and it's totally Totally free. Yep, free. So that's issuelab.org. Oh, that's a, a lot of really great resources there. We do have a, a, an email question from Annette uh, in Detroit, and she's actually bringing up something that, that I didn't know, and that is she's asking about anything that is going to be taking place related to the Foundation Center's 60th anniversary year. Is that this year? Yes, that is this year. Hi, Annette. Thanks for asking. Um, so we're playing at a tiny bit low key. And that's not that we're not super excited about our 60 year, but it's that we have so much exciting stuff happening um, that we just aren't planning anything big. We are going to do a gathering in our New York hub um, in person. And then we might sprinkle a couple other events or celebrations throughout our digital communications and maybe a few in person. But what's been exciting is there's been a lot of growth in the types of projects we're taking on and the way that we're traveling around the world to be present in different places and innovating around new data visualization and new services. And so we really wanted to keep the focus on doing that work um, and not pausing too much to celebrate, even though admittedly we should celebrate even more. So. Uh, if you have ideas for how you'd like to celebrate, uh, we certainly are open to them, but we are downplaying it a tiny bit just so that we can really celebrate by continuing to do the work. And, and what about um, your education series? Will, will there be anything different about that in the 60th anniversary year, or is that just because um, the, the bigger issue that you've brought up is that of technology, does that sort of drive itself? So there's definitely going to be some evolution. I'll, I'll let Sarah Jo speak to most of it, but I'll just share the one thing, maybe the two things that I'm most excited about. Um, the first is that we're certainly looking to develop some more trainings that are specifically focused on grant makers. Um, and part of why we're really excited about this is we have those 60 years of knowledge about 
all the questions that grant seekers and nonprofits could possibly imagine asking. We do a ton of listening every year and teaching proposal writing boot camps and webinars on cultivating donor relationships, and we feel like we have a lot to actually help funders move their practice forward that's both grounded in data and grounded in our experience. So we want to take what we're hearing through our current work and translate that into usable tools for funders that also builds on the research we've done through GrantCraft um, and some of our other funder-focused services. And embedded in that, I think that we've done a lot of focus on hard skills in the past. And hard skills are really important. Uh, there is an art to the proposal right, to writing a good proposal. Uh, but there's also the soft skills of meaningful cultivation and a way of communicating. So one thing that Sarah Joe and I actually piloted last December, and we'll be doing again this year at least twice, hopefully once on each coast and maybe once in the middle as well, um, are a series that we're calling for now Learning Labs. And those are entirely focused on soft skills. So I've been able to live my dream and design a session called Improv Comedy for Grant Makers. Um, oh, wow. Although at the Learning Labs, it's, it's a broader mix of folks in the social sector. So we have funders in the room. We have nonprofits in the room. We had a priest in the room last time who really, really thought that a scene that took place in a church was very funny, and I, I really appreciated that. So, so we were able to do that. And then we paired it with a workshop on using human-centered design, which is the practice of doing attacking problem solving a different way by putting people at the center of the puzzle solving um, and really tapping into their emotions and, and, and letting the brainstorms run wild as a way of getting to more creative solutions. So through improv comedy and design thinking, we're changing the framework that we're trying to use to teach about what's really important in this field because a lot of it, there is not a rule book. It's really about using good judgment and finding creative and appropriate approaches. So we're trying to integrate that quite a bit more into training this year. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I might well, that add to that very... question. Go ahead, oh, go Sarah ahead. Jo. Oh, sure. Thanks. I was, I was just going to add um, um, a few things around the education um, kind of enhancement or ways that we're growing, uh, growing that initiative is, is one, a lot, of, a lot of folks maybe on the call or, or even new listeners might know us for a lot of the fundraising training that we offer, and of course makes sense, right? We're Foundation Center. We will, we will share all that we know. Um, around foundation fundraising. Um, but over time, we've also offered a whole lot around um, trainings around organizational sustainability or strategic planning as well as leadership, but we really haven't had a framework to discuss that or be external about it. So we really are kind of shaping up um, uh, and, and helping learners and um, nonprofit leaders understand exactly what what you can find at Foundation Center through through our education offering. So you really can look to us for for um, training on fundraising, whether it's corporate fundraising or individual fundraising or foundation fundraising, of course. And then organizational sustainability. Well, sure, there's courses on how to write a business plan or how to write a marketing plan. 
Um, and then in leadership, of course, board development is a huge topic, and most people on the call are probably f trying to figure out, yeah, how can I, how can I empower um, my board leaders That's to raise more money? That's always a very, very important <laughs> yeah. topic. Um, wh yeah. What can you share about about the foundation center's role um, in educating on that, and maybe trends that you're seeing related to leadership development? Mm -hmm. That's a, a great question. Um, we are. I want to I want to pause and, and make sure I'm I'm um, thinking thinking kind of comprehensively about it. I think there's a few ways that we're tackling leadership development, is, and one is by really incorporating um, those those threads um, throughout training. So it's not just hey take this course on leadership development or on board development, but how do we really inspire um, culture of leadership and a culture of philanthropy throughout fundraising training as well, um, or around strategic planning or around impact evaluation. So it's not just held with one person, but there's, there's really um, leadership that's being developed um, around all of those topics through our trainings, if that makes sense. So there's really kind of a notion of leadership throughout all the trainings and not just in this one track over here on the side. Sure, sure. It is yeah. a topic that that comes up quite a bit. We're going to take a, a quick break here, and when we come back, I wanted to ask um, the two of you if you might be uh, able to get a little bit more specific about your proposal writing boot camp. What are some of the examples of topics that you, you cover there, some of the big things that you want nonprofits to remember? And, of course, we want to make sure before we close here uh, that all of our listeners know how they can register for and uh, become beneficiaries of the training at the Foundation Center, and we will be right back. Does your organization have a compelling story to tell? Do you want to connect with your supporters, volunteers, and donors, but don't have the funds to launch expensive outreach campaigns? The YouTube nonprofit program can help. If I could give one piece of advice, it would be sign up for the YouTube nonprofit program. If I could give another piece of advice, it would just be to capture the story of your organization and use video to tell it because video is the most powerful medium by far. The nonprofit program helps you use YouTube as a powerful fundraising tool for your organization. One weekend, we managed to raise enough to feed 500,000 children at school for one day. The video also gained over half a million views and had thousands of comments and tell stories that haven't been told. Because you guys, the YouTube community, started sharing these videos, there's been housing programs started and feeding programs started. Literally homeless people that were sleeping outside slept inside last night because of you guys. Over 10,000 nonprofits are already using YouTube's premium tools for nonprofits. Your organization can too. Learn more and apply at www.youtube.com nonprofits. And one thing that we want to, again, just make note of uh, for your calendar uh, is our big sixth anniversary show here on The Nonprofit Coach, and that's going to take place here live at 12 noon Eastern on April 19th. Don't forget to mark your calendar April 19th, big sixth anniversary show here on The Nonprofit Coach. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. 
And we're back here live on the Nonprofit Coach with Jen Bokoff, the Director of Knowledge Services at the Foundation Center and Director of Grant Craft, and also joined by Sarah Jo Neubauer, who is the Director of Capacity and Leadership Development Team at the Foundation Center. Um, so, uh, Jen and Sarah Jo, um, this is, is, is an important topic, that is that of uh, proposal writing boot camp. And you've mentioned already today that there's an art and a science. There are certainly uh, best practices related to, uh, to proposal writing and, and grant writing. Bring us uh, up to speed on what is the latest and greatest and how can we learn from the Foundation Center. Sure. Great question. Thanks, Ted. Uh, so we, one thing that, um, just to kind of get back to the question around the, the um, you know, how has uh, Foundation Center training um, been different or what, what can you expect? Um, the proposal writing boot camp has been around for a few years, and this year my colleague Carrie Miller just recently, along with the task force, just revamped the whole boot camp, if you will. So um, we are covering some of the most recent developments in foundation fundraising, and we take a logic model approach in building a proposal. Inside this three-day intensive, um, we also cover how to approach funders. So again, back to that cultivating relationship piece. Um, and you write a need statement and you draft a letter of inquiry and then you also talk about how to pull all this together in a budget. So it's really practice-based um, and we make it fun and we really ground it again in adult learning principles. So you're, you know, you're, you're networking, you're learning who else is in the room, you're learning from them. And I, I think one of the boot campers, if I, if I could, um, favorite experiences in, in this uh, experience is writing a letter of inquiry and then reviewing seven or eight of their peers' writing and giving and receiving feedback. And that is a, a certainly a huge highlight. And so again, these are, this is a three-day learning experience that's going to be offered a few more times this year, specifically in Washington, D.C., New York in April and June um, and December in San Francisco. Part of what I like about it is, because I've sat in on the classes several times, and part of what I like is that nothing is assumed. So as one example, one of the most common mistakes that people make in writing a proposal is sharing that the need is money. Mm -hmm. And while, sure, the organization needs money to do X, Y, and Z, that's not the need that you're supposed to describe in a proposal, and it's certainly not one that compels a funder to actually grant you funding. And so it's, it's not to say that it breaks down to basics so much that you know, it imagines that you don't come in knowing anything, but it really tests our assumptions about what each of the big components are. Another thing that the, the boot camp really goes into is making sure that we know the difference between goals, which are the big picture ideas of where we wanna go, and objectives, um, which need to be measurable, smart. We've all heard smart. So um, it, it, they really spend time digging into what each of these components are and making sure that everyone has a holistic understanding. And then during the practice piece, um, it's facilitated in such a way where nobody is ashamed to get feedback, nobody is put on the spot, but it's really about being able to identify ways to improve through seeing how peers tackle a question um, because more often than not, it's a little bit different perspective. So that's what I've really appreciated about the framework of the classes, um, if that's helpful. Yeah, I think I think it is one of the the things that that uh, that you raised uh, is a topic that we've discussed 
here on this show many times, and, and that is the the need for money is is not enough, and that in and of itself is not right. a case for support. Um, right. And and I often sort of quip to audiences that that I uh, provide training to, that I lecture to, that um, I have no fear that they will raise too much money. Uh, and the, the reason for that is that every nonprofit manages to find a way to spend the money that they have. The question is, are you inspiring the donor? Are you impactful in what you do? Are you able to measure the work that you do and the good that you, that you do? And, and I, I suppose that part of what the, the proposal writing uh, boot camp um, would help people understand is it's it's not even about the writing of the proposal itself. That's sort of it's certainly there's an art and a science to writing right. a, a good grant and a, and a good proposal, but it's preparing to write for that proposal and it's understanding your organization at a, a very granular level that allows mm-hmm. you to share with a funder who are about to become investors in your organization why they should do so. I think that's right, and, you know, it highlights two big things that we definitely highlight in the classes. One is we actually spend a lot of time talking about the motivations of different types of funders um, and making sure to really highlight this is part of that human-centered design approach, really putting humans at the center. You, You mentioned it earlier. How do you connect with the funder and get them invested and excited in what you're doing. And part of that is understanding why they're at the table, what the mission of their foundation is. So it's knowing in a really granular way what your organization does, but also really getting inside the head of the funder and thinking about who is the person on the other side and not the foundation. So that's one thing. And then the other piece is you usually can't just have a grant writer. You need someone on a development team and someone on a program team and maybe a few other people to really add the passion and color, not just to a proposal, but to the whole cultivation process um, that really shows that clear, holistic understanding of what you do. Because one of, the, one of the biggest shames in a proposal, and I'm thinking back to when I actually worked for a foundation and read a number of proposals, um, a challenge is when the proposal didn't have heart in it. Uh, quite literally, it was devoid of passion and just relying on template language that was really just swapping in and out the name of a funder. And you could tell a proposal that was really written with some heart and with some excitement for a current initiative or an approach um, rather than just the boilerplate language, those always go farther. Well, and 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 how do you, how do you you get that point across, or how do you how do you teach that in in a in a, a proposal writing boot camp or in any kind of training? Because I, I think you're right. A lot of uh, maybe um, earlier in their career fundraisers um, sort of view it as as sort of you know the sort of thing where you're you're sort of xeroxing the proposal. And I've got this whole list of funders, and if I, you know, the shotgun approach, if I just send out enough of them, I, I suppose maybe enough foundations will accidentally fund us that we'll be okay. But but that's not really the successful way of of writing grants or being grant funded because there is such a strong human element to the evaluation, and part of that is impact through passion. Don't don't you think that, that that's the concept that, that – 
that really is going to spell the difference uh, between sort of a generic approach to writing and something that is going to capture the imagination of an, of an investor, of a funder, but also be meaningful and impactful to the audiences that you're serving. Yes, absolutely. And I think um, I, I wanted to, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking through some things and I thought, yeah, it really isn't about the proposal in the end, is it? It's about the need that you're serving and why you exist um, and what need you really are meeting in the community. And it starts, it starts there. So when you have, um, when you're opening up a proposal with, uh, you know, we were established in 1956, how, how compelling is that versus what is the problem and how are you really communicating to the reader that you know the need of the community, you know the positioning, um, and, uh, and that is a, a big piece of, um, uh, of the proposal, right? I, I think I also want to just draw attention to the fact, um, away from the proposal a little bit, and thinking about how else you are at the table of the issue on behalf of your community. So it's not just um, hey, I'm a really good writer and I can put together this great proposal, but what else are you doing? How else are you interacting with funders or investors or beneficiaries or community members at the table in your community, right? That you're not just asking for money, but there's other places that, um, that you're working together and um, building those relationships. It's not just through the vehicle of a proposal. That's just one way. But right. funders want to see that you're active and available at the table and in the middle of the conversation in so many other ways, and that's really key. And, and dovetailing off of that, one of the best tips that I recommend to nonprofits, especially if they want to connect with a funder who doesn't accept unsolicited proposals, and, and we ask this in some of our classes, which is what is it that you can offer to other people? How can you be a resource? Uh, is there an article you can share? Is there a survey that you did? Something that might actually help inform a funder's work or another organization's work because that makes you valuable. Um, and right. so that exercise is one example of a way that we might get people really thinking about the work itself rather than just writing a proposal. Right. I think part of the preparing for grant writing, as is, is I often share with people, is understanding the ecosystem in which you exist. Because yep, any yeah. good funder, anyone who is going to look at you seriously for uh, investment uh, is going to do their homework, and they're going to go online uh, with a topic that you uh, purport to be making a difference in or be asking for funding. And if a pretty simple search shows that you have no voice in that community, that you have mm -hmm. no involvement in that community, that actually the only thing that you can prove is that you can spend money. Um, right. But there isn't any data, there isn't any giving back, there, you aren't a thought leader, you aren't participating, um, then why would you think that someone would want to fund you? Because it goes back to the principle that I shared before, and that is needing money is not enough. Uh, get in line. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs money. Everybody wants money. The question is, are you prepared to be a good partner to those people, those funders, those foundations, those corporations that you're now inviting and asking to be your partner? Exactly. Absolutely. And I want to I want to pick up a little bit on a thread that you mentioned, Ted, around kind of overall communications. And so, proposal is certainly one piece of that. And to your point, funders and investors are going to go online and look to see where else are you showing up. And so, uh, are your web communications, social media, social media channels, really communicating what you're sharing in the proposal? Are all of those communications in line? Because there's there's going to be holes and gaps there, and and they will easily be able. That's a red flag right there. Absolutely. 
And then one more thread I want to pick up on is just we're trying to think about how to connect the dots a little bit better of how it is that we're training people here and just more holistically about the services that we provide and tying them all together. So GrantCraft, we've mentioned it a few times, but I haven't really talked about it. GrantCraft's been around for more than 12 years, and the idea behind it is to hear directly from funders about the issues and strategies that they're thinking about and how they're tackling them. So really getting under the hood a little bit, getting behind the scenes about the why and the how behind certain decisions that are made and the way that portfolios are structured. And so we have a, a lot of different types of resources, so case studies and videos and podcasts and guides. And they're, they're designed with funders in mind so that funders can learn from each other. But what we see when we really mine our own data is that just as many grant seekers read our resources. And the main reason why is that it's actually a really great way to achieve some sort of transparency, to really understand what funders are thinking and how, and get more appreciation for the mindset. And so we've heard from a lot of nonprofit organizations just how helpful it is to, for example, read a chapter about power dynamics um, in the context of capacity building and think about the role that they might play from proposal writing through execution to help mitigate those power dynamics or at least make them work for them. So we're in the next year, we'll see some more tying together of these resources, but I just wanted to mention that as another resource um, for anyone who's not taking advantage. So that's grantcraft.org. Well, and that's an excellent resource, and, and I think it goes back to this concept of understanding the ecosystem in which you have chosen uh, to be a participant, because it, it is a two-way street, and even though you're looking to a funder and saying, okay, well, you have money and I need money, well, fine, they have plenty of applications. They don't need your application, but what they do need is really good solutions to the topics in which that funder has chosen to make a difference. I mean, that's the value proposition here is that they have the money and they want to make a difference. They have the money that they can fund making a difference. The charitable organization is the one who is going to have the, the, uh, the knowledge and the capacity to make a difference. Making that match is, is grant writing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, and then, so don't waste your time applying to to funders who are not your the right audience and do spend your right. time really researching um, kind of evidence-based research, right? Who else is this foundation funding? What are those other organizations? And do I know someone and there? Do you know someone there? Right, exactly. And, and on the funder side, we're also working with foundations to encourage them to say what they want because really a lot of funders have either very broad missions or they don't say what they're actually looking for in evaluating a proposal, which makes it really hard. It, it is really hard to do some of this research about finding the right fit. So while we're trying to teach good prospecting practices, at the same time, we're doing a lot of work to really get funders to think smarter about how they're sharing information and what that information looks like. So, for example, we have a website called Glass Pockets, 
and it's really all about foundation transparency. Um, and connected to that, we learned that less than 10% of foundations actually have a website. Shocker. So it's really shocking. <laughs> so, so without websites, it's increasingly hard to find information. So one of the things that we've been doing to help foundations be more transparent is actually build websites for ones that want them but don't have them. So, you know, we're doing what we can on, on that side, but it really is, it puts a, a tough burden, but an important burden on a grant seeker to really go the extra mile to look for the right fit. Yeah, but uh, you know, I think, and, and I think that certainly, you know, the training for funders uh, is important that topic. But but I do want to say that I, I don't think that the burden necessarily has to be on funders to always be crystal clear and outline exactly what they're looking for because they may not know necessarily what they're looking for. And I think that's where the passion and the education of a well-crafted proposal can really make the difference because a funder who has a general idea of what topics they may want to uh, participate in may not know. You know they, they may not be as knowledgeable in the ecosystem that they want to be part of. So they're sort of a, a two-sided street there. Um, but I think for funders to remain a bit more general and, and generic, giving them the opportunity to weigh options, uh, puts the burden on, I think, where the burden should be. And that is a well-crafted proposal from a nonprofit organization that is prepared to provide service, but also prepared to measure the outcomes, I think that sort of proposal educates and provides guidance to the funder mm -hmm. uh, who can then become passionate about that topic themselves. Mm -hmm. That's true. There's real power there to be able to tell a compelling story and actually shape the way that philanthropic dollars can be invested. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot absolutely. of nonprofits sort of give up that power in that they feel powerless because, oh, you've got the money and I just want to go get the money. Tell me what I need to say. I will say it so I can go get the money. And, of course, you know, that's, you know it's never healthy to be yeah. desperate in a relationship mm -hmm. um, <laughs> of any sort. Are you giving dating um, advice, Ted? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It is a bit of dating advice, as you know. So, you know, I've done a lot of, a lot of training in, in grant writing, and I think getting sort of your head in the right place and understanding that, you know, I think funders are looking to be educated. They're looking to um, to understand more about your organization and approach it from that point of view. Don't just approach it from, oh, here's a question, here's the, the form, here's the online application. I just sort of need to fill the boxes and then I'll get funded. Mm -hmm. um, I think certainly you might get a, a small gift or something, but, but to really get a passionate funder who's going to be with you for a while and is truly going to want to become an investor, they're looking for something more and you need to be prepared to give it. Mm -hmm. Well said. I, so I do we want to only, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to say, we only actually, I do have to cut, cut us off here, uh, because I think these conversations, I, I want to invite you both back. This is absolutely fascinating, and I think this sort of information is, is always evergreen and is always necessary, and the work of the Foundation Center is so important, so I want to really encourage my listeners to get to know you better. We'll have you back to give you an opportunity to, to cover some more topics that perhaps we wanted to cover today. We only have a couple of more minutes. I'm going to ask each of you to just a quick final statement, but more importantly, how can my listeners reach you? Um, Sarah Joe, why don't you go first? Sure. You can, um, you can start by going to grantspace.org. Grantspace.org is chock-a-block full of um, kind of 
knowledge and skill development. So if you want to learn more, if you want to actually read some sample proposals that have won grants, you can go to grantspace.org. That's a huge question. If you want, if you're thinking, oh, maybe I'm interested in in starting a nonprofit organization, that information is located there as well. Um, grantspace.org. And then I have to put a plug in for one of my favorite um, two things. One of my favorite resources on Grantspace is the knowledge base article area with few hundred questions that have been answered with vetted resources by our librarians. Um, there's also um, a, an online librarian ask us chat and email function on grantspace.org. So if you are stuck or if you just need help finding that resource, you can chat us and we will answer and, and share those, those resources with you. And then there's also a calendar. So you can sign up to receive um, announcements about on, new online or e-learning uh, opportunities or in-person live streamed opportunities too. So you can connect with us in so many ways. Yeah. And then That's I would terrific. build on that. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll build on that. One, to harken back to Annette's question about the 60-year anniversary, there is one big thing that I, I didn't mention but should mention, which is we're updating the look and feel and functionality of foundationcenter.org. So you'll see within a couple of months just a really beautiful new interface, and that'll be a real hub for finding all of our information. We'll have universal search across all of these platforms. I think we've shared 10 or more URLs. Um, so in a couple of months' time, you'll be able to search for all in one place at foundationcenter.org. Um, I also think it's really valuable to subscribe to Philanthropy News Digest. Um, PND, which is totally free, and it's useful if you're a job seeker and or want to keep up with the latest news in the sector. And, and That's just great. Jen Bokoff, I'm just going to have to cut you off here. We're out of time. Yep. Jen Bokoff and Sarah Jo Neubauer, thank you for being my guest. Please come back soon here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thanks, You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.